Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Bryn Knox, head of finance at BenchSci. For biomedical researchers, BenchSci is a reagent intelligence platform that reduces the time, uncertainty, and cost of scientific experiments. BenchSci uses machine learning to decode comprehensive open and closed access datasets, display published figures with no commercial bias, and allows researchers to search by important experimental variables. Bryn oversees the finance function at BenchSci. He began his career in marketing, working at 20th Century Fox and Walt Disney Studios. However, his aptitude and passion for finance led him to make a career change, landing in acquisitions at Olay Media Management and finance at Wave. His experience gives him a unique view in how finance can be instrumental in driving growth, unlocking new business opportunities, and scaling teams. Bryn has a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Toronto and holds a CPA CMA designation. And so without further ado, let's hear from Bryn Knox, Head of Finance at BenchSci. Hey, Bryn, thanks for coming on The Backbone. Really appreciate it. We've got a whole lot of things to cover, so I want to jump right into it. You know, you've been into tech and media space now for quite some time. Uh, prior to your role as the head of finance at BenchSci, you were the senior finance manager at Wave. So talk to me about your journey into tech and how it all started for you. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, so quite a ride into tech. Um, so after school, I'd actually gotten into more marketing. Um, so I was, I was actually not in finance and I'd progressively moved some, some, through some roles. I actually ended up at uh, 20th Century Fox here in Toronto and then Walt Disney Studios. It was kind of just through some friends and I'd fallen kind of into that stream and I really liked film. And so it was just a good opportunity to really try to mesh those. However, one of the interesting things was when I joined at Walt Disney Studios, their marketing team was very new. So it kind of had this, we've got to prove ourselves and we had to build and really show the head office that we were making a difference. And so it was kind of cool. It was actually very entrepreneurial in that way. Um, you know, we kind of grew up from being, I think there was maybe four of us when we started. By the time I left, there was eight or nine. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it kind of grew and it was really interesting. And along the way there, I actually started getting into assisting with marketing budgets and uh, doing some analysis on like ROI of the department because as I said, it was newly created. So it was really trying to prove that, hey, this is the value. This is the bump that we're making here in Canada. And that actually kind of drove a bit of a spark in me that I'd always enjoyed. I was good at uh, accounting and finance and economics. It just wasn't something that I'd you know, drove into audit was just not something that I was interested in in undergrad. Um, so maybe I just steered away from it. But once I saw the impact that I was making from a corporate decision-making standpoint, I was just like, mm -hmm. okay, I should really kind of figure out, you know, like I want to do more of this. How can I do more of this? What are kind of those options? And, you know, as I kind of talked to people in my network and, and looked at it, I decided to pursue my CMA. So while I was still at Disney, but during that, uh, I started kind of looking for other roles that could kind of fulfill more of that finance background and get me a lot more of that hands-on experience. 
And so that's where I landed at Olay Media Management. Quick background on Olay. They uh, founded by uh, two individuals, kind of so it was like an idea in a garage and they kicked it out. And it was a music publishing company, not to get too deep into it, but they essentially would acquire and, and exploit uh, publishing rights around music. So really working with songwriters. And so one of their main things was actually acquiring um, and making sure they're administering and, and maximizing the value behind a lot of these recordings that they had. And so I joined their acquisitions team. And so from there, I got tons of experience in terms of learning this whole new market. Uh, something that I didn't know about was music publishing. So I learned a ton about it, learned about, you know, financial behind it, which is very bright individuals, got some great experience. And while there, actually got thrown into a special project, which ended up creating an entire division there. Um, it was the d- digital department. And it was focused all on digital music. Uh, so it was like everything, like what was YouTube doing? What was Spotify doing? Um, and so on. There's tons of these other sort of like online companies that they call multi-channel networks. So you have like Maker Studios, for example. It's like, what are they doing with music? How are they, you know, trying to actually monetize and develop new streams? And that was actually a big focus at LA. So I actually got the opportunity to jump into that a lot. I worked actually directly with YouTube in making a agreement between Olay and YouTube. And so I really got like a really cool. taste of, you know, what was going on um, kind of in that landscape, working with all these smaller companies and startups. And again, so there was a bit of that spark of it was kind of in an entrepreneurial environment, but got that, you know, exposure to a lot of these US startups and, and seeing what they were doing. And so, you know, kind of started reading a lot more about it, seeing that that time, you know, that it was kind of starting to grow out in Toronto. And I was thinking, you know, if forward looking, what's kind of an industry that is something you can make a difference, but you know, it's going to grow and it's something that you can be passionate about. Totally just kind of serendipity um, because from Olay, I went to Wave and how that actually happened was a recruiter kind of randomly reached out to me and had offered uh, a role in like the entertainment space. And it's kind of like, you know, no, it's not necessarily um, where I'd want to stay. I, I'd really love to get into tech. And, and I kind of figured I'd, I'd never hear again from this person. <laughs> you know, a typical like recruiter just trying to fill a role. Yeah, okay, not for you. Um, however, this individual, you know, followed up with me, put me in touch with someone on his team, and we met for a coffee. And, you know, as we were chatting, he was getting to know me. He kind of said, okay, look, we have this role. Um, let me just kind of circle back. I'll take your resume. I'll see if the, the hiring manager is willing to meet with you. He said, you know, your experience might not definitely align. Uh, you're kind of, you know, like I said, at this point I had marketing and then I'd kind of jumped into LA. So it wasn't necessarily the fit for uh, jumping into FP&A. However, um, I ended up meeting with uh, Rebecca Sfork, who is the head of finance at Wave at that time. And uh, we just clicked, you know, we just hit it off in the interview. We really aligned um, the experience I had. She liked that it was kind of non-traditional. I was bringing in kind of a different viewpoint. Right. And that's how I landed at Wave. Amazing. Yeah. And that's super helpful. Just kind of um, going back to your you know earlier start in your career and how you transitioned that into Wave. And now ultimately to your current role, which is the head of finance at Venture. 
Benchsci. So first of all, tell me a little bit about Benchsci and what what does the company do and what it's all about. And then one thing I want to dive into a bit more is this concept that, that you brought up earlier right, when we had chatted was you really look for the the alignment on the mission and vision of the companies that you uh, work at. So first, tell me a bit about Benchsci and then let's let's talk about that aspect. Okay, so Benchsci at a kind of very canned response. What we what Benchsci is is we're a platform for biomedical researchers. Um, we're a re- reagent intelligence platform that reduces time, uncertainty, and cost of scientific experiments. What I would kind of try to delve that down to is we have built a search platform that uses machine learning. Um, to decode open and closed access data sets. So think of like any kind of scientific research. So think of like your nature periodicals or any sort of um, university type research. Okay. And we're able to use machine learning um, that takes into these large data sets and we can parse them through based on, um, you know, certain proteins that are listed and we're able to find those markers and tie them back to specific published figures that the scientists need so that they understand um, in their experiment what they need to do, like what what are the specific compounds and proteins that they should be using. Um, It's a very tedious task currently. Um, You know, people working in labs, they come up with a hypothesis, they need to get out, they need to say, is this going to work? And then they, you know, try to go through maybe PubMed or Google Scholar and they're searching thousands of pages and reading them Hmm. and trying to parse through. We essentially try to take what may take them weeks of time and they could still be prone to high levels of error. We try to get that down to less than an hour to search and find exactly what they need. You know, like we can get them as long as it's in our platform. And that's something we're constantly trying to get more and more data. So that's always, you know, challenges more data, but if we've got it, we can try it for them quickly, get them in the right, um, path and you know right from there they know where to order from we can point them to vendors of where to get the the compounds and get them underway so just so i I kind of understand the kind of gravity of the problem you know um it's not as simple i guess as just typing in i want shoes into google (laughs) google google shows me a list of shoes these are very specific reagents as you mentioned or or compounds that you're looking for and they need to be i guess connected or interwoven or traced between research papers and those are not uh, i guess can be many many pages in length and understanding the connections between all of that is is not as easy as a simple google search Uh, am i thinking about that correctly yeah a hundred percent. When you go through with our, our science team and they run you through a demo of the platform and explain the challenges that they face, it's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of simplifying it to, oh yeah, it's a lot to search through, um, you know, all of this, this research mm-hmm. articles that exist. And, and that's the tip of the iceberg. And actually all, part of our onboarding is we all watch this documentary um, the name is totally escaping me now, but it's, it's a very short, nice, nice viewing. And, you really think, you know, from an outsider looking at science, you're always like, right, there's the periodic table of elements and science is very known. You know, kind of the biology of this, you know, what proteins exist. You've got the genome. Come on, like, how difficult is this? <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, I say that as a finance, it's gonna, I, it's, the science is very difficult. There's so many variables. And then, though, you realize this, as this documentary onboards you, it's still the codification of biology and proteins and, and, and the research behind it is, 
it's still so wide open. Um, there's no, as much as I like refer to the genome where it's like, yes, we know this, 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 that that's not what these scientists are working in. Um, they're trying to find specific proteins that could have different names depending on who did the research. So that's hmm. where are they in the world? So maybe a European periodical will refer to the same pure, uh, protein as a U.S. periodical, but with a different name. And it depends on, again, where you are and what short form you're using and, and the name. So like that's part of what our machine learning tries to do is take no matter where it was written or what, you know, short form or name they've used and just get it into one. Um, right so that the researcher can find that. Yeah, so basically a very, very easy problem that BenchSci is solving is what you're getting oh, at. <laughs> yeah, incredibly, incredibly simple. So now that we have an understanding of what BenchSci does, uh, maybe talk to me a little bit about what drew you to BenchSci. Definitely drawn to meeting once I actually met the team. Um, so I had a chance to meet the CEO, CGO, um, or CSO, and CTO. <laughs> Let's see it's there. Um, but through the interview process, I noticed they were very collaborative. It was never kind of that one-on-one. It was you met with multiple people. You got multiple viewpoints. You had the opportunity to ask a lot of questions. I liked that. Nice. Um, they, they took it as a, this is a two-way street. Ask us a bunch of questions. What do you need to know so that you know exactly what you're getting into? Um, they're very transparent. But I just also like the drive and, and what they were trying to do as I learned more about the platform and the problems they were trying to solve. Um, you know, what our CSO and, and the, you know, the main genesis, uh, the founder of our idea is, uh, he was actually a bench scientist. So that's why we're bench side. Um, he was a bench uh, sci cool. scientist at U of T, uh, during his PhD. And that's where he came up with this idea is it was just the struggle. And it's a hilarious story inside is that he ended up trying to find, uh, you know, machine learning postgrad U of T. And one of the searches in LinkedIn that came up was David Chen, who's our CTO, and they ended up meeting for coffee. And from there, this just kind of built out. And kind of hearing those stories and getting to meet the team and see what their mission was about, that just, again, it's that kind of mission alignment. Um, They're so focused on this problem that is incredibly difficult. But it's one of those, you know, you feel like you're you're just that dog on a bone. Like, you, you need to solve mm -hmm. this. And right. you, you really have that very close empathy. Um, we have a team of scientists that actually work in-house and all of them are like PhDs, doctors, and they worked in labs. They know this struggle. They know the pain. They know what our users are going through. Um, so you really get that feeling inside the team that we're all working towards solving a problem that they feel from a human standpoint of the people in the labs. And then you look at that broader picture of, you know, we're initially focused on antibodies. And so that's one of those things of our platform can help scientists reduce error, move faster and get to cures faster. That has a massive impact. Um, For sure. And so uh, switching gears a little bit now to talking about your, you being the first hire and the finance hire at BenchSci after the company had raised $8 million in Series A funding. Mm -hmm. And so walk me through kind of your first call it 100 days, what that looked like for you as you stepped in now as the finance leader for a venture-backed company. And what what were the first kind of things that you looked at or did within the first, call it 100 days of, of you being there? Definitely, in, in retrospect, crazy 100 days flew by. One of the first things that I dove into was really understanding um, 
you know, kind of cash position and understanding what our financial, like the state of the financials that was in looking at what our actuals were and what the forecast was. Um, mm-hmm. that was, you know, just to try to get a lay of the land of, you know, how much time do I need to spend here? Do we have, you know, did we know what our runway was? Did, what were our key expenses and were we actually forecasting correctly? Kind of all those sorts of very typical finance, um, pieces. Uh, and actually we were in good shape. So it was not done in Excel, which I had to make sure happened. It was done in a Google, which was a little rough. It was hard to do, you know, get through at first, but we were, we were pretty solid there. Um, but then it was also starting to kind of go through those looking for the, I guess the, the regular kind of repeatable finance functions that had not been in place or that were not necessarily scalable things. I mean, there it's kind of like all those operational things. So like, how are we running payroll and employee expense reimbursement? Hmm. Uh, how are we paying vendors? You know, how are we tracking all of this? Well, who are our key vendors? Um, subscription management, you know, like what was your approval process? So, you know, a man or, you know, someone in engineering needs a subscription. What does that look like? Do they just walk over, get the credit card and charge it without telling anyone, you know, trying to build all of those things to make sure that oversight exists. Uh, right. And also that it doesn't become any sort of like red tape burden. It's just business as usual, but it just keeps you in the know and, and you don't, you know, go at the end of the month and you start going through all of your expenses and you're just like, what is this $5,000 charge? It's like, Oh, Hey, that was for this new subscription. Yeah. Trying to right. lock all of that in. Um, and then also with kind of the senior team and especially the CEO is really getting their, his vision and needs, like what were his pain points internally? Where did he want to go? Um, because really that is how I looked at myself. Like what was his vision? What was the board's vision? What were the key milestones that we needed to hit after the series A? Um, and so, you know, that helps me kind of prioritize what are the things I need to do beyond kind of all the typical finance operation stuff like beyond that how do I help us grow how do I help us achieve those goals and so what advice would you have for finance leaders who maybe are setting up a finance function for the first time now that you've been there done that yeah that's a great question um I would say be ready to learn find other hopefully you have people in a network uh, that you can kind of rely on that's really helpful. I, I did that. Um, and you learn from maybe like the mistakes they made and you can try to help avoid them. They can give you advice to point you in the right direction. Um, so that you don't maybe spend three hours trying to solve a problem. You know, they're like, here, here's the answer. Um, I know that's been powerful and there's a great startup, uh, finance leader community here in Toronto. And I, I've definitely leaned on a handful of people for their advice and insight. And sometimes just that like 20 minute coffee or phone call can save you a day. Yeah. Or, or just reach out to Bryn because he just did it. Or yeah. It, well, yeah, find those people. Like, <laughs> oh, hey, that guy did it. And then you just linked in them or you find them somehow and or even through your um, portfolio, you know, your, your uh, board members, they will, they will go, oh, hey, you want to meet the finance lead at these five companies? Here's an intro. And, and you just right, go. right. And and so that that's super helpful. And and obviously, you know, 
all finance leaders at, at some point um, in their career will have to, you know, set up a finance function um, and if they're starting out at, at an early stage. So I think that's super helpful. Um, you know, one other thing in, in the finance function, it's often a misconception that finance is a stickler when it comes to things such as sales and marketing budgets. And this is something that you touched on within maybe your, your 100, first 100 days is figuring out where all the budgets are, where all the forecasts are. You obviously have to work across functionally within all of these teams. And so oftentimes finance plays this role of of being a bad cop is like, no, you can't spend this. No, you can't do this. And finance is often referred to as a gatekeeper. So talk to me about how you manage expectations amongst various departments at BenchSci when you started and how you manage a process like that being a finance leader. Yeah, that's very true. And I definitely felt some of that um, starting at Benchside and some of the early conversations or kind of coming in, you, you get people kind of thinking like, okay, yeah, finance is here to, to hold us to a budget, hold us to costs. <laughs> and that definitely exists. You're always trying to find places you can save. I think though the philosophy I always live by, and I definitely say this every time you know I'm in a meeting, is if I save though, it's not, I'm, I'm trying to save, just hold that back. It's find ways to trim here so that you can spend in places that are really driving um, ROI, positive ROI where it's, you know, I, I always have this conversation with the team, like how can I help you think through what your spend should be? Um, if it's a particular, you know, subscription for a tool, how does that tool make you more efficient? Is it, you know, a team of five engineers can now do the work of six? amazing, you know, like do it or, you know, whatever it is, five and a half, it makes you more efficient to focus on other things. If it's in our marketing right. spend or sales, you know, if, if the team's like, oh, you know, we need to go do this trip or we need to do this uh, program. It's, it's just the sanity check though, because a lot of times people will be like, yeah, let's just go do it. But if you haven't sat there and tried to maybe build out some, some thought behind why are we doing this? And if we spend this, what's going to be that outcome? Um, and really trying to build that every dollar spent has to somehow return more down the line because in a startup, you're very burning money. Um, and so you need to always make sure that every dollar you're spending is you're maximizing that value. And, and I try to look at it. How can I help you? Is it building a model? Is it kind of showing you is, you know, on that campaign, what's the cost to acquire a customer? It, is there a positive? Uh, benefit to doing that campaign and if the answer is yes like do it and if, even if not is there other reasons right like it's always about driving that value like how are you trying to get that forward um, and just bringing kind of that finance lens of of the dollars behind it rather than just maybe a feeling of like oh i did this before maybe it'll work or someone says this is great let's do it it's just trying to drive that thought process of put a few tax behind it like can we model this out or just give that extra layer of thought. For sure. And I think you've covered a lot of this already, but our kind of last question before we hop into a quick fire round is what is the importance of the finance function at a technology company? I think I would sum that up. Yeah. Through all the things I've said is definitely like find ways to add value. And I think that's true of everyone, but I think definitely in finance, you're, you're positioned well to do that. And, and, and that value can be in finding operational efficiencies. You know, can you, put in processes that are very repeatable. Uh, you definitely want to do that. You always want to find things that are repeatable and scalable so that you don't need to keep doing them and spending time. So it's get people time back, especially if you can do that for your like CEO or other C-level team members. Right. You know, save them time and they'll love you because they can focus on what they do best and that should be building the business and bringing in new customers and, you know, 
mm-hmm. iterating the product to make it better. Um, and I, I, you know, definitely value in terms of making sure you're building a solid forecast that gives that reasonable runway. Cause I, I think over everything cash is knowing your cash position, where you're going, what your burn is and really trying to forecast that down is so important because you never want that surprise of, wait, we only have that much money left or we only have that much runway left. Um, right. Right. Giving, giving yeah. your CEO and your board well enough, you know, time in terms of figuring out when do you need to go get funding? That's, that's an ultimate ad value, uh, um, exercise there. Couldn't agree more. Uh, what I'd like to do now is jump into our quick fire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you some questions and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds like fun. All right, let's do it. So what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related? Um, definitely been using forentrepreneur.com, uh, which is David Scott's blog. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's a great blog. And what's your favorite uh, productivity hack? Uh, anything that keeps me organized. Um, and definitely we use Kanban boards in Jira. So uh, that helps me. And even Google Tasks, I love it. You can just kind of add tasks down your pane and it keeps you on and you can add them to your calendar. Good stuff. What is one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? There's a lot of things, um, but definitely if you're in month end and you're doing a cash rec, any sort of like cash rec or month end reporting, you know what's due, you got to get it out. Cash is king. So got to get it done before you leave the office. Yeah. What's uh, one tech jargon that makes you cringe? <laughs> Probably a lot here. I would have to say, the one I picked here is disrupt. Just one that you hear a lot and like the literal meaning of disrupt is to essentially interrupt or disturb someone but you don't actually see how you're adding them. And what is the best advice that you've received so far in your career? Good one is be comfortable with being uncomfortable. As you think about that concept, how do you challenge yourself every day to be comfortable with the uncomfortable or the unknown? You know, jump into a biotech science startup that, you know, subject you know nothing about. Um, yeah. And I think even <laughs> becoming a head of finance, you, it's kind of that thing like people have this idea you're going to be ready. You're not. You're not going to feel ready. You get that like imposter syndrome of, can I do this? Um, and that's where I said you jump in your network and, and that uncomfortableness really drives you. So it's, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. taking on a project that maybe you're not 100% and you have to be honest about that and never tell someone like, oh yeah, no, I got this. I know all about this. Um, but yeah, sometimes take that leap that, hey, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to learn about this and dig in and, and you'll surprise yourself, I think. Well, thanks so much, Bryn. This has really been an awesome chat. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, really enjoyed learning about kind of Benchside, what it's all about, kind of your first hundred days there as a finance leader, what learnings you took away and what someone starting a, a new finance function from scratch can can learn from and, and, and do, as well as kind of dispelling this mis- misconception that finance is often a bad cop of who's always striking down budgets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really thinking about ROI and, and how that impacts the company as a whole when thinking about the budgeting process. So it's really been an awesome chat. Learned a lot. And thank you so much again, Brandon. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. Bye now. You too.